Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, November 21st, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I am the theater throwback's Daniela Parcell. All right, Daniela, today's Tuesday. You're not normally here until Thursday, but this week is a holiday. So as we mentioned yesterday, you're here a couple days early. Tomorrow, Caitlin will be here a couple days early. So first off, happy Thanksgiving. You're here in Orlando. So you got any big plans while you're in Orlando for the holiday? Not really. I'm actually leaving Orlando tomorrow for actual Thanksgiving. So uh-huh. <laughs> okay, whatever. All right. Fine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, I'm going uh, four minutes away to the, uh, my uh, wife's sister's house for uh, for Thanksgiving. So is that the sounds same? A, sounds exciting. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> thing. Disney, Disney sister-in-laws, it's the same. Yeah. You know, I spent uh, Christmas at Disney one, one year, uh, which was a very odd feeling for me, but it was a lot of fun. They uh, goofy come down your chimney and leave some presents or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, first up in the news, uh, critics weigh in on Mean Girls in Washington, D.C. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday that we knew the reviews would be coming in, but we hadn't gotten them yet. So yesterday, they started to trickle in. Like we said, a lot of the New York people didn't really go out and review this one. So most of what we got was from the local press, although we did kind of get one national one. And for the most part, the reviews were what we'd expect. They were positive, but thought that there could be some refining done before the show comes to Broadway in the spring. Peter Marks of the Washington Post said, Mean Girls does have a stronger spine than a sentimental piece such as School of Rock. The soul of Faye's script is closer to bruised than bubbly, which partly explains why the roles of the cynical high school outcast, Barrett Wilbert Weed's Janice, and especially Gray Henson's Heaven Sent Damien, are so close to the dark core of this show. With its exploration of the cruelties clicked crazed kids, say that five times fast, are in, uh, <laughs> can inflict on anyone who dares to be different. Which goes triply for the for this rage and social media fueled age. But the musical has some shoring up to do, principally in a score with too little melodic variation. There's a redundant quality to some ensemble rock numbers that range from catchy to undistinguished and come one after another. Jennifer Perry from Broadway World said something fairly similar. As much as the musical is highly relevant, well-structured, and fun, there are still some areas for potential improvement before the move to the Great White Way. While the Peppy score is definite ear candy, there are some missteps. There is some repetitiveness. Likewise, Tina Fey's book could use some trimming here and there. These are all small issues, though. The musical is in really, really great shape. Paul Harris from Variety chooses to praise a different part of the show. He said, quote, the show is visually spectacular. Set designer Scott Pask and colleagues have fully exploited the opportunities of LED video technology with LED walls that burst with color and motion at every opportunity. Sitting in the audience is at times like being in the middle of a cartoon as kid-friendly scenic designs flow constantly. Africa, high school locales inside and out, private homes and bedrooms, a shopping mall, a Christmas pageant, and even a fast-moving bus. Um, so, James and Danielle, I I think this is probably what we expected. Like I said, um, strongish reviews for the book and the score, but definitely some work to be done before it comes to Broadway, which is, in essence, why you do an out-of-town tryout. Well, I'm really excited for this show, so I'm glad to see that people seem to think it's in good shape. Now... Real, real quick, Danielle, are you, I assume, a fan of the movie? Because 
I've never seen the movie, and I'm assuming James hasn't seen the movie. So oh. you might be. Oh, ha- oh, you have seen the movie, yes, of course. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, well, fine. But uh, Danielle, you might be more in the target demographic for this. So is this like one of those go to can't miss movies for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was probably a little young for it when it first came out. But um, it's definitely something that everyone my age has seen and loves. <laughs> so uh, the LEDs uh, and the design for it, um, it's Scott Pask, as you mentioned, he has uh, he, he's represented right now by the band's visit. Uh, I was looking to see if maybe he had done uh, is it Anastasia that has got the amazing LED backgrounds, but that was uh, hmm. another designer. But LEDs are really changing the way that people can present things on stage. It's really cool. Yeah, there's there's a uh, a number of groups of pictures that uh, Mean Girls has released that are out there now, and you can kind of see all of the different things they do. There was one, which, um, which the Paul Harrison variety mentions the shopping mall scene, where if you didn't know better, it looks like it's a complete 3d, you know, actual physical shopping mall set. So, um, that is very cool. And I'm excited to kind of see that when it finally does come to Broadway and see all the stuff that they've come up with. Was it uh, a listener, Debbie Schrager that sent us a picture of the, uh, opening, uh, uh, shot. Maybe. It, that seems appropriate since she's in D.C. I don't remember exactly, but that, that seems probable. Yeah, that was um, – Though I actually have not seen any production fo- uh, photos. I've only seen Schrager's. Uh, so uh, it, it looks really cool. And uh, it's got a, a whole handful of, of uh, very talented people involved with it. So I'm interested why uh, a lot of New York – uh, folks are not getting down there. Maybe it's just that the Thanksgiving holiday, the the Riedels mm. and the Brantleys and the various other folks are kind of uh, doing other things this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because normally they would go out and yeah. do an out-of-town trot for something like this, especially because it is such a big property coming in the spring. I, I wonder if it is just because of the timing of this and there have been so many, you know, there have been a number of Broadway openings recently. There's a couple more coming up here in the next few weeks that it just didn't fit into their schedule. But I was surprised that there weren't as many reviews out as there were. Hmm. All right. Uh Next up for the next set of reviews, uh, reviews are in for Tracy Letts's The Minutes at Steppenwolf. Yeah, this is a show that presumably is coming to Broadway this spring. Uh, earlier this year, it announced that it would be starting previews at a theater to be named later on February 6th with an opening night scheduled for March 8th. Since then, we've heard a lot about this Chicago production, but not much about an actual Broadway production. We still don't know what theater it's going to be in or at this point, if it actually is coming to Broadway in February. However, directed by Anna D. Shapiro, the reviews were about... Uh, I'll say it this way. There's only two reviews that are available currently, and they are pretty different. <laughs> one loved it, one not so much. Of course, this comes from uh, Steppenwolf Ensemble member Tracy Letts, who's a Pulitzer Prize, and Tony Winter, both as a playwright and an actor. Um, and it is very much set in the moment. Scott Oxman of Variety said, quote, With his new play, The Minutes, a simmering satire of a small-town city council meeting that evolves or devolves into something of a horror tale, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Tracy Letts has written what is nearly certain to be the single 
single work of art that best represents, but will also survive, the Trump era. Let's keeps us amused with subtle comedy about broad but still believable characters who begin arguing about a parking spot and some lost bicycles, but ultimately reveal one truth after another, the biggest being that American politics has become a raw, ugly battle over our deepest underlying narratives. Or, as the mayor character puts it, history is a verb. However, Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune was not as enamored. I have to say that generally I don't agree with things that Chris Jones says, but to each his own. Um, Jones wrote, quote, I'd argue the minutes needs more work. The primal conclusion that awaits depends for its impact on the utter quotidian veracity of all that has gone before. It's complicated because Let's also wants us to have fun. And so he does, telegraphing his intent with clever ticket names and creating characters like Mr. Oldfield, who bathes his colleague Miss Ennis in spittle as he hacks on about nothing in particular. Then there's the unctuous Mr. Breeding, the modestly corrupt Mr. Asselone, the doughty Miss Matz, and the over-anxious Mr. Hanratty. On occasion, Shapiro leans too readily into the satire without the necessary counterbalance of credibility. That needs recalibrating without losing the laughter of complicity. Now, I love Tracy Letts. I've said on numerous shows before that August Osage County is one of the greatest pieces of theater I've ever seen. Um, so I am rooting for this to come in uh, in the spring if it actually does. Um, I assume that it'll do well. There's not a ton of new plays this season. So having a Tracy Letts show on Broadway, I would imagine that it would have its fair share of nominations, if not wins, in the play categories at the Tonys this coming year. So uh, Steppenwolf, Tracy Letts, a great cast. I, I would imagine it, it, it has a very highly probable shot of coming in. Uh, and... Uh, with uh, reviews like this, uh, what do you think? Does this uh, hinder it, or does it help it? Or uh, you know, I don't know that it really changes it one way or the other. I mean, out of town reviews, unless they're just disastrous, I think don't really get in the way of of producers trying to bring things in because unless they're people like us, they're not reading Chicago reviews. And I think the fact that they can boast. Tracy lets his name probably above the title. I think it should be fine. I'm going through the plays for this year, and there's just not many. You've got you've got Latin history for morons. You've got John Lithgow stories by heart, and just scrolling through, I, I you'll have Lobby Hero from Kenneth Lonergan, um, Harry Potter, obviously. Uh, but that's really the only new plays that I'm seeing. I'm sure I'm missing stuff as I'm scrolling through. Oh, you've got Junk and the Parisian Woman on there now. Um, but it's not a ton of big heavy hitters other than Harry Potter. So I would think that uh, this would be a good time for it to come in. Uh, the Children, Farinelli and the King. Uh, yes, I knew there were more. I, uh, yeah, Three Tall Women. Well, it's a revival. That's a revival, uh, yeah. Children is of a Lesser God's revival. Uh, yeah, you'll have Iceman and the boys, uh, the boys in the band, but those are revivals, yeah, uh, as well. And Saint Joan, Saint Joan, and Travesties, uh, yeah, both revivals. revivals, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the we've had, uh, I guess it, you know, it's no surprise. This is uh, everything's so cyclical. We have so many seasons of tons of great new works. I think last season we had a, a an embarrassment of the riches of great plays. Uh, so maybe it's just a, it's just an inevitable cycle that's happening here. 
So let's take a look at last week's Broadway grosses. Well, speaking of cycles, uh, you guys might remember that last week we talked about how nearly every show in the Great White Way saw an uptick at the box office. Well, this week is pretty much the opposite. It's like that two-week cycle. Um, Only five of the eligible 30 Broadway shows saw week-to-week gains. However, as a whole, the main stem still did fairly well, clocking $31,147,317. Now, Normally, this is the point where I would say that that total was likely buoyed by the addition of a new show, in this case, Home for the Holidays. But because that show did such an awful number at the box office, I don't actually think that Broadway was impacted all that much by it. Home for the Holidays, which officially opens tonight, stay tuned for those reviews, played a total of five performances last week and brought in a whopping $51,300. That's right, folks. It grossed just 5.5% of its gross potential. Now, perhaps as the holidays begin this week and tourists come in, they might be more likely to buy a ticket. But last week, uh, 3,487 people saw the show, which means that the average ticket price for Home for the Holidays was just $14.71. That total is almost certainly because of steep discounts and heavy papering. I don't think they were really selling... $14.71 tickets, although I could be wrong. Um, but with the reviews coming out tonight, I I don't know that it's going to get much better. Maybe just the influx of tourists wanting to see something holiday-specific might help it out. But it's not looking good for that one, especially with the word of mouth that it's been getting. Now, let's talk about those shows that I mentioned that actually saw bumps last week. The biggest gainer was the aforementioned Parisian Woman, which picked up over a quarter of a million dollars, moving from five to eight performances to come in at $832,844. Then there was the band's visit coming off of its triumphant opening night. It picked up just over $180,000 and broke the seven-figure barrier, grossing $1,010,161. Once on the Island also saw a black number of over 50k. Latin History for Morons picked up over 12,000, and Springsteen on Broadway gained nearly 6,000. The boss's 2.4 million dollars was only bested by Hamilton, which came in at 2.8 million. Hello Dolly was in third at 2.3. Then there was The Lion King at 1.76, and Dear Evan Hansen and Ben Platt's final week at 1.68 million. The rest of the million dollar club was Wicked, Aladdin, Come From Away, Book of Mormon, The Band's Visit, Waitress, and Meteor Shower. Down at the bottom of the scale, obviously Home for the Holidays was the lowest grossing show of the week. Time in the Conways, which is now moving into its final week on Broadway, was second at just under $295,000. The play that goes wrong took about a $59,000 hit to come in at $376,404. And then there was Once on this Island and Latin History for Morons, two of the shows that actually saw increases. Uh, For the most part, you know, like I said, almost every show saw declines, but they weren't major declines. Um, Only a handful saw things in the six digit uh, range being uh, The Lion King, Wicked and Miss Saigon. So for the most part, even though it looks pretty bloody when you see all the red numbers after such a strong week the week before, it really wasn't that big of a hit. I was thinking, you know, the the play that goes wrong went down how much? Um, it was just about $59,000. And Home for the Holidays went up how much? <laughs> $51,300. It's pretty close. Maybe it could be the musical that went wrong, that goes wrong. Oh, <laughs> you know I think I think... I think this one is going very, very wrong. I mean, just, just talking to people who've seen it, this is like... I feel like the three of us could do a show that would be better, and we could put it together in a week or two, and it would do better. 
I think they should schedule some talkbacks after the uh, holiday show. <laughs> Danny Ayalo doing a talkback. <laughs> did we? Did we get any word? If is he live I on stage? I think he's there. I, I, uh, yeah, I think he's actually legitimately there. I was just assuming it was going to be a video yeah, of some sort. No, absolutely. But apparently, they got legendary actor Danny Ayalo to talk during this unbelievable train wreck of a show. all right uh so daniella you're not going to be jumping on a plane to come up to see that are you um not planning on it (laughs) (laughs) all right uh show and casting news all right, I'm going to run through some things here pretty quickly. First up, some great news over uh, from the Barrow Street Theater. Yesterday it was announced that the Tooting Arts Club production of Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, has again extended, proving to be one of the biggest shows of this calendar year. The show will now extend through May 27th of next year. It had originally been scheduled for just a short run over the summer and into the very, very early fall, but it will now play through next spring and apparently from uh you know the hall during the holiday season they're going to be adding a new um uh, holiday themed pie i'm not going to get into the recipe of that but uh it's gonna make everybody's mouth water early in the morning but you can check that out in the show notes at broadwayradio.com then over at broadway world's industry section my colleague kara joy david has an article going not only into that recent hubbub that I know you guys talked about while I was out of town um, about 1984 being deemed ineligible for the Tony Awards, but she goes into what exactly the Tony Awards Administration Committee does, how they make their decisions. But she does spill a little bit of tea when it comes to uh, uh, 1984, so you'll definitely want to read that. And James, just to confirm something that you mentioned yesterday, yes, Shame of Thrones, the rock musical, announced that it will close abruptly this weekend. No, uh, no. At- no. I know. I'm sorry. No. This one, this one, and uh, Daddy Longlegs really hurt your heart. I'm going to close on November 26th at the Theater Center uh, on 50th Street. At the time of its closing, it will have played 44 performances. Although I don't know if you can count all 44 as being for Shame of Thrones, since it's had like two or three different names during its run on Broadway or off Broadway. Why? Why can't people appreciate art? Why? <laughs> it's- it's Peter Felicia's fault. If Peter would have given it a better review, it would still be open. Keeping it open. Closing him down, Felicia. The Butcher of Off-Broadway. Do you guys know about <laughs> The Butcher of Broadway? Do you guys remember uh, that? That's no. what's uh, Frank Rich, who was, used to be the New York Times uh, yes. uh, reviewer. That was his uh, his moniker that pe- people would refer to him as The Butcher of Broadway because Frank Rich's uh, uh, reviews, they say, would be so brutal they would close shows. And I think it was uh, probably a little bit more power attributed to him than <laughs> necessary. A bad <laughs> show is a bad show. A good show is a good show. <laughs> All right. Uh, new media news. What in the world is that? It was something that I didn't really have a very good explanation for. But basically, okay. um, yesterday, as I was scrolling through my Twitter account, um, I saw one Lin-Manuel Miranda mentioned in association with two podcasts that I'm a big fan of, but aren't really in the theatrical landscape. First, tomorrow on a show, James, that I know you like as well, Song Exploder will look at Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, Puerto Rico tribute and benefit song, Almost Like Praying. It also features a cameo from Gina Rodriguez, the star of Jane the Virgin. That episode comes out tomorrow morning. So take a listen to that. And then this one, I don't exactly know if Lynn is going to be on NPR's Code Switch, but the host of that show in talking about something that was discussed 
on Co- on the Code Switch podcast said that he talked to Lin Manuel Miranda yesterday, and that he asked him to weigh in on quote our heated sweet potato pumpkin pie debate. He's hashtag team redacted. So I almost feel like he's going to be on the show and he has to, he's going to answer that question. So um, those are two great podcasts to listen to, whether Lynn's on them or not. So check that out. And then, James, this is right up your alley. Yesterday, Kelly O'Hara announced that a new web series that she is in called The Accidental Wolf um, is had its first episode released. It's a thriller. It looks very I haven't watched it yet, but it looks pretty intense. It's from Waterwell Films. Um, so you, you want to check that out over the holidays, maybe, you know, at night and when it's dark and have a little bit of that thriller suspense vibe going on. Hmm. Who is this Kelly O'Hara you keep mentioning? I don't know. She's never been on Broadway radio. Never. Never been. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Daniela, tell us uh, the theater throwback a few days early, but tell us what happened these days in the yesteryear. Okay, so uh, today we're not really going back to a specific date in the yesteryear, but since Thanksgiving is coming up, I thought it would be interesting to look back at the history of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and then more specifically, Broadway show's involvement in that. So the first Macy's Parade ever was in 1924, and it came right after a huge milestone for Macy's. The company had just expanded its Herald Square location to cover an entire city block. This expansion happened conveniently just in time for the busy holiday shopping season, and Macy's decided that they wanted to showcase the fact that they were now supposedly the world's largest store. So to celebrate the beginning of the holiday season and to show off their new and improved store, they decided to have a giant parade. Actually, it wasn't really giant back then, but more on that. This first parade did occur on Thanksgiving morning, but back then they actually called it the Macy's Christmas Parade. The route was much different Two, it began up on 145th Street and Convent Avenue, and then followed a six-mile path downtown toward Macy's. The floats were nursery rhyme-themed. There were only three of them. And rather than balloons, they (laughs) used real animals from the Central Park Zoo. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Have Um, fun cleaning that up. Yeah, well, they got rid of them three years later because they were um, frightening for the kids. Um, And then the first balloon appeared in 1927. It was Felix the Cat. And since they did not know how to deflate the balloons yet, he just floated away at the end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And at this time in 1924, there were no Broadway performances in the parade. Um, But one thing has remained the same since the beginning, and that is Santa Claus was last in the lineup. So celebrities and musicians and performers were not a major part of the parade until 1934, and the first television broadcast of the parade was in 1945. This came after a brief hiatus during World War II. Now for the exciting part, uh, Broadway shows finally began appearing in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1980, so that feels fairly recent. Um, It was 56 years since the parade's beginnings. The Pirates of Penzance was the first show to perform in Herald Square, and the cast appeared on a pirate ship float. And the cast of Barnum, Brigadoon, and A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine also performed. The next decade or so was kind of sporadic. Most years had performers, but some didn't. And then by the mid-90s, Broadway had become a regular and an integral part of the parade. And today, as we know, the first hour of the broadcast is always filled with performances from upcoming and currently running Broadway shows. 
This year, the casts of Dear Evan Hansen, Anastasia, SpongeBob, and Once on This Island will be performing in Herald Square, so be sure to tune in to NBC right at 9 a.m. to see that. And last year's Tony winner, Leslie Odom Jr., will also be there. And for more Broadway fun, you can head over to CBS, like during commercial breaks or something, to see performances from Waitress and Come From Away. I always tape both because I generally don't get up in time to watch them, either of them live. So I always tape both and just fast forward through everything else and just watch the performances. Is that bad? Is that unholiday friendly of me? Am I am I am I creating a war on Christmas and Thanksgiving? I can't believe you hate freedom and the troops so much. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag take a knee. Take a knee. So uh, let me make everybody jealous here. Um, I don't know. Matt, have you ever spoken to Lauren Klass Schneider, who does uh, class notes for us on Broadway Radio? I, I, I don't. I have not, no. So Lauren is a longtime friend, and um, she is also a producer of the parade um, for hmm. CBS. Um and she does the live remotes out on the street when people say uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and have put a turkey on their head and things like that. Those, uh, the intros and outs and outs and things like that. She does a lot of crowd stuff. And so um, she has invited us to the parade a few times. And so we get to oh, wow. sh- show up at the parade five minutes before and get a front row seat and uh, watch the parade and then get out of there. And it's really great. Uh, so the going to the parade itself is really exciting and uh, Broadway fans definitely if you can if you ever get an opportunity to get down to Herald Square and uh, see some of these performances and see the judge the judging stand and all that stuff they you should do that um, it's worth the terrible weather and the early morning and things like that <laughs> to, to do that well, well it must be it must be nice to get there five minutes before it starts and to see it without the parade passing you by Ah, I see what you <laughs> did there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Daniela, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcel. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Uh, thanks for spending Tuesday with us. Matt and I will come back tomorrow to uh, talk with you just before Turkey Day. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.